Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. To transform how we look at the Gospels inherently means we must take the next step, which is to transfer, transform everything we understand about our feasts. All of our feasts are not about history. The glory of them is that they happened in history, but that's not our proclamation. Our proclamation is they happen in every moment. They're happening right now. Resurrection is. about an Easter basket? How about an Easter basket for everybody, John? Easter basket full of uh, all sorts of treats, I think. <laughs> I think that's the best way we could sum up this this episode, that they're about to get their minds blown open. Oh my gosh. I You know what? It's funny because uh, this particular guest has become a really, really dear friend of ours, and um, we always uh, look forward to what he has to bring to the table, but this is a little... Uh, I mean, he kind of loops it around, but there's a little different uh, road he goes down on this episode. Mm-hmm. Yep, kind of deviates from his main sort of body of work to to take us down um, a really intimate, beautiful, no less exhilarating rabbit trail uh, of of Easter. Oh man! So yeah, so uh, who do we got? <laughs> who, who, who who do we got here, man? Un- unveil unveil the splendor. We have. The return of Dr. Alexander freaking Shia on, on oh. the show today. Yes. And let me just say, if, if you guys uh, you know, listening are new to the show, and if you've just joined up with us within the last couple months or so and haven't gotten a chance to go back to some of the older episodes, let me just say, hit pause on this right now. Go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of our guests during our original scripture series that we did earlier last year, uh, where he he talks about the uh, the four path journey and he breaks down uh, why he believes in his in his research that each of the four gospels was designed and written for a very different purpose, and he explains that. Yeah, he goes into it, and then we had him back. Um, gosh, I think two months after that. So uh, a little bit later in the year last year to kind of touch a, a little bit more on it, go a little deeper. Um, and it's absolutely brilliant. His book, Heart and Mind, is absolutely incredible, which is available on Kindle right now for, you said nine bucks. Is that right? Dude, Heart and Mind on Kindle for nine freaking dollars. I mean, Steel. I think there are a ton of people that have been listening that either heard him on the Robcast um, or maybe another podcast or our show. And they're like, oh, my goodness. I mean, my dad was like, where do I buy this guy's work? Yeah. And at the time, this was like a year ago, I was like, you know, here's the book title. Check it out on Amazon. And he was like, dude, it's like 60 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to import it. And I was like, 
And I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. And so my dad was super bummed. And, um, I just recently found out that it was on Kindle for $9 and he, he downloaded it immediately. Oh man, that's great. It's, uh, it, it's such a revolutionary work and, and not in the way that you normally think of, you know, like groundbreaking, mind blowing work. You know, you think of something that's, that's new, a new direction and it sort of is, but at the same time, it's, he has this way of taking this same thing that you've been staring at your entire life and, and making you look at it in a way that you've never seen it before. It's the same words, right. the same stories that, you know, um, but yep. he, he pulls out like, it, it's like pulls rabbits out of it everywhere. You know, it's unbelievable everywhere. And nope, he did the same thing with right this. Out. Yep. I was just about to say you were just going right where I was going to go before I say we just freaking cut him loose and let him do his thing. But like, you know, if you're listening to this and you're, you know, one of those people that's checking out different things and you think you've heard everything that, you know, Christianity has to offer or whatever, like, you, you know, Easter is one of those things that's about as taken for granted as, as Christmas. Yeah. And if you think, you know, Easter, (laughs) you don't know anything. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's all i'm gonna say oh my gosh yeah so uh for those of you guys that don't know dr alexander shia um he is originally from uh birmingham alabama he grew up in a huge uh family that emigrated from lebanon originally uh so he comes from this uh this catholic background um you know he attended university of notre dame um he's got you know i think two master's degrees and a PhD, you know, cause you can never have too many, you know, higher education, uh, diplomas on your wall, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, this is some, some stuff he's been working at. He said since the, uh, the late 1970s, um, that was completely just out of the blue for us. He, he kind of emailed us is like, Hey, this is something I've been thinking about, uh, really, uh, talking about and, and, it's uh, some, some work that I kind of shelved for a while uh, after I started working on Heart and Mind. And yeah, I think it might be interesting to talk about around Easter. And we're like, okay. <laughs> and wow. Uh, and you know what? Yeah, he's one of the, he's one, you know, there's, there's a few, well, you know, more than a few, but this, is guy, this guy's at the top of the list of, of guests we've had on that I would just do a weekly podcast with just, the, just him. Yeah. No question. I mean, oh, just, just give him we're topics. Very, we're very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 Oh, just man. lightning round with Alexander Shia all day long. Yep. Oh man. You guys, you guys are fortunate. You don't even know the, the Easter treat this is about to be. So yeah. Buckle uh, up. However you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. However your Lenten season is going right now, it's about to get better. Yep. <laughs> and with, with that, would you, would you like to introduce him? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, let's do it for the third time. The uh, the reigning champion on this podcast, uh, mm-hmm. Doctor Alexander Freak Alexander Freakin' Shia. Shia.
constructionist. So here we are. Oh my gosh. Uh, we got to give the people what they want. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, uh, last couple times we've had you on, we've talked a lot about your work with uh, the journey of Quadrados, um, heart and mind, your, your, uh, your, your, uh, your book. And this time we're going to take a little bit of a different angle and uh, we could not be more excited about it. And this is very uh, apt because we're, we're heading into that time of year. Uh, we're heading into uh, to Easter time and, and springtime and renewal. And, uh, and, and so you uh, have done a lot of work in, in the area of Easter. And, um, and you're, you're tapping into one of my personal loves, into the, the history nerd uh, side of me. And so um, we thought we'd take this time to, to, to pick your brand a little bit and see uh, see what, what thoughts you have on Easter. And obviously, um, you know, this is one of those holidays that, uh, has kind of evolved over the centuries. Yeah. So, uh, what, what, what uh, evolved and yeah. how it started and where we are today are a quite a distance away. Whoa. All right. Well, that's provocative right there. <laughs> So how did the early the early Christians uh, it, my understanding is that this was not a holiday that was even celebrated uh, and that and that the, the the term Easter in and of itself uh, derives from Hebrew and Greek terms that actually translate more closely to Passover right so um, and I don't want to do so much history because what I really get excited about is how this feast enlivens us and our lives and our relationships and our attitude with to what's going on in the world right now well you called it a feast yeah all right well you know <laughs> might be some people out there that don't really get that well first of all the early church and when i say early church we're talking about 150 200 years which is really quite a long span yeah but they didn't have quote-unquote easter in the way that we think of it Every Sunday was the memorial and the celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection. Oh, so it wasn't like one special day no. out of the year. No, it's like every Sunday was in their, in, in their understanding, and you'll see this in the Gospel of Luke. Luke begins to talk about the eighth day. And you're like, what the heck is the eighth day? We've got a seven-day week. Where does the eighth day come in? The eighth day in the Gospel of Luke was his name for Sunday. And in the Jewish metaphor, Saturday is the Sabbath, the seventh day. And the day after the Sabbath was the day of Alpha and Omega. It was the eighth day and the first day. And it was the day of the resurrection. And so every time that we came to Sunday, the community gathered and they celebrated the memorial and the experience of Jesus' death and resurrection again. So it's not until we get into late 2nd century, early 3rd century, that we begin to have the development of one of the Sundays of the year being a little bit different than all the other 51. Interesting. And, and what, uh, what brought about that renewed or that new focus uh, on isolating one specific day? Was it uh, like the pagan influence? Uh, no. I mean, here's where I go with that. And I, I also want to go back and 
one of you remind me to come back to this and talk about what resurrection meant uh, in the early century of Christianity, when we were primarily a Jewish tradition honoring Jesus the Christ. Uh, but the uh, for me, everything in Christianity comes out of necessity. It never comes out of dogma or theological thought. It moves there eventually, but that's not Everything develops in Christianity because people had an on-the-ground need about something that was going on in their lives. Mm. And here's what was going on in the life of Christianity 150 years to 200 years into our history. Now, we've talked before about the fact that Christianity is the first tradition on record of being pan-tribal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, we can understand today the, the challenges that we're having with ethnic diversity and pan-tribal living. Seriously, we haven't come very far, have well, we? Actually, I think we've come quite a ways, but we're sort of back at that point again in, in a new expression, because what we've never had before in world history is the level of migration that we have today. Mm, yeah. But let's go back 1900 years into when this idea is just beginning to come into human consciousness and awareness through the presence of Jesus the Christ that we diverse as we are can be one family and it no longer matters our preferred thinking style, our feeling expression who our mothers are, our ethnicity, where we come from on the planet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that Christianity is that tradition of radical folly. I mean that in an honorable way. Mm. Throw open our doors and to say to everyone, come, be family together. Wow. And this is the critical thing because we've got to remember that 1,900, 2,000 years ago, Everybody is born into a family, and that family is your identity and your relationships and your responsibilities and your accountability. And that we're still in a time all those centuries ago where people are raised to live for the family or the tribe much more than to live for themselves. When, when anyone in that time steps out of their ethnic tradition and becomes a Christian, most of those people are going to be removed in some way, either emotionally or physically removed from their family of origin. Yeah. Now, we're not going to become a new tradition on a theological thought. Uh, this new community has got to have the same level of affection, love, responsibility, accountability, brother and sister, not in just some poetic idea, but that we truly live with and for each other, even though we are people of great diversity. I'm taking notes really fast right now because that was so good. <laughs> So 150 years into our history, and Christianity has expanded greatly across the Mediterranean and North Africa, and we're pushing 
as far as India, etc., we got a problem. And the problem is that Christianity was becoming more magical than on the ground real. That this sense of we are the body of Christ was becoming more a theological thought than a felt reality around the table. Yeah. So our diver- you know, the gift of Christianity is its diversity, but now that diversity is turning around and biting us in the you-know-what. <laughs> so, so the church now is going to respond, church, as if it's some hierarchical, institutional, blah, 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 but this upswelling in all the places of of Christianity, this, this, this concern about how do we bring ourselves back to and really deepen the fact that at table we are really sister and brother to each other, not sister and brother in just in some theological thought, but that we will lay our lives down, lay our money down, lay our sweat down for each other. This is what we're here for. So to do this, the church says, again, when I say church, maybe, maybe it would better to say the community says, um, once a year, we got to have a community retreat. And that community retreat is going to be obligatory for everyone. And When this got started, the community retreat was a long three days. And you might guess where I'm going, that three days over centuries ended up becoming 40 days. But retreat is not focused on, I've got to get myself right with God. It's not focused on the individual at all. It's the community's retreat. And if you're a member of this local community, these three days are your most sacred days of the year. And you, unless you've got some really good reason, you need to be here. And what we're going to do over those three days is we're going to look back at, the, at, our, at our lived life with each other over the past year, and we're going to call out the giftedness of what we've done with each other. And we're going to name the places in our, in our shared life where we've been less than. And this is not done out of guilt or shame or anything, but this is just the human journey. We're, we're always reaching to name our giftedness and to let it shine. And we're always reflecting on where are the places that we haven't done this as well as we think we could have? And, and into that, into those places where we have been less than, we are going to pray and examine our life and fast. The, the ancient three-day retreat was built on a body fast because we wanted to use our very bodies to ache for oneness again. That's awesome. Oh, man. Oh, man. Not, no, no, there's no sense here of, of, of sinning. There's no sense here of, 
of you're you're separated from God. Uh, this early Lent, this early three day retreat, is about we have received a gift of such great love that love calls us to greater love. Uh-huh. And in the face of such love, we want to grow. We want to transform. And we want to truly be that radiant community that has something to go out to the world and give them. That is what I want in religion. You know, I'm using air quotes, but like, gosh, that sounds so good. I was just going to say, I, I, I'd heard you say something similar. Uh, for, those, for those of you listening who haven't checked out um, Alexander's Facebook page, he's been doing a ton of really awesome uh, Facebook Live stuff lately uh, where he kind of touches on some of this. But I've heard you mention that, that for the past 800 years, I think he said, uh, we focused, focused on the morality play version versus, uh, you know, the, the, um, I'm trying to think what you called it, the, uh, much more, uh, full, you know, less simplistic, less dualistic version that we, we tend to kind of gravitate towards. True. True. And I, I, I don't know how much to, like couch where the morality play came from. And it came from, for a very good reason. And it came from a, from a human need in that moment. All I'm suggesting is, is that we perhaps need to change our metaphors. I think that what our early ancestors did, uh, which after a while got put in the, in the huge museum of Christianity, I think it's time for us to bring it back out of the glass case. Uh, and see if it might be a prayer that's more that would more meet the the need, uh, especially today. I could not agree more. Yeah, I re- I really couldn't agree more. So perhaps um, this is a point to go back and 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 talk about what resurrection meant in the first couple of centuries of Christianity, because um, we we focused on the video cam of the garden when the tomb was rolled away and what would we have seen? Right, 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 right. And that's, um, that's another question. And it's a, it's an honorable question. That's not where our ancestors were. Uh, and we've got to remember that we are a, a Judaic tradition that has come to understand the presence and the reality of Jesus, the Christ. In Judaism, Judaism is a tradition of now. It's a tradition of right here and right now. Absolutely. And that's where we start. And for a long time, this is the entire basis of Christianity. Yes, the death and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ shows us and puts the exclamation point on the fact that there is life beyond the grave. That's, it's irrefutable that Jesus the Christ's death and resurrection adds this element to most Jewish thought of the day. And that's a pretty radical uh, new expression. But early Christianity still does not try to define life beyond the grave other than to affirm that it is. Christianity continues in the, in the way of our Jewish mother, we are a tradition of what we do here and now. And therefore, resurrection is not something 
that the early Christians talked about post the grave. For them, resurrection is how do we live a resurrected life now? Uh. It mean to have resurrection in the ways that we live, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in our communities, in our world now. And only to the degree that we live resurrection now did the early Christians believe we would understand and recognize resurrection after the grave. So can I, can I ask a, uh, can I represent uh, enlightenment Christianity for a second for, for so many people that I think of either in my church or people that I talk to regularly about spirituality? Why, in your opinion, did we get so hung up on the video camera aspect of, of the resurrection? Is it insecurity? Is it enlightenment just mindset that we're all kind of brought up in and we've missed the deeper, uh, more, more impactful, more life changing perspective because we're all just so concerned about how to do apologetics on, well, who moved the stone and was it, was it the Rome? And, and I'm not making fun of any of that because all, all that was very important to me, but absolutely. All right. We're going to, I'm going to go back and I'm going to lay this on a great, great, great figure who met the radical need of his time. But 800 years later, we've got to move beyond what he did. And that radical figure is Francis of Assisi. Francis comes along, and not only he, but he represents a whole movement uh, in the 12th century. At that point, the Christian God had become a sky god a father figure way out there with tablets judging us. And Jesus had become part of that sky God far, far away from us. And there was no sense of intimacy. There was no sense of, of, um, of God being for us and with us. It's like the whole Trinity had become transcendent and distant and, and a God of law and judgment. And in the 12th century, Francis becomes the face on a whole movement which says, oh no, our God is human, divine and human, and here and with us, not a God that put on a human costume but a God who is incarnate in our life. And what Francis does is Francis begins to show us in concrete imagery that God. So Francis develops a creche, a nativity scene, that enfleshes in a physical, visual way the birth of Jesus as a human. Here's his mother, here's his father, here's the manger, here are the animals all around. Look, this is not a sky god. This is, this is a, a human being being born, a human being who is fully divine and fully human, but a human being. And then Francis is going to do something 
which has a huge impact on, on our Easter today, is Francis develops the way of the cross. Francis develops this prayer form of the stations of the cross, and he mixes and matches from the four Gospels and creates a meditation not found in any of the Gospels, I will mention, but it's a very grace-filled meditation. It's Francis's meditation on the way Jesus went to the cross. But the impact of it is, again, look, this is not, he, he's not playing an opera character. Here is a huge right. person going through a trial, being betrayed, going through a trial, carrying the cross, going to Golgotha, dying, and of course, Francis didn't add, but now many uh, prayers of the Stations of the Cross adds the 15th station, which is the resurrection. Um, everything that Francis did by such incredible holiness and prophecy was to begin to turn the ship from the sky god to the human brother Jesus with us. Now, Francis also has the incredible beauty of, of all of his cosmic prayer. But what we so much needed at that point was this reanimation of the humanity and the humanity and the divinity together in Jesus. And, oh, and it, led, it led from what Francis did into the development, well, the, the development began to happen of something called morality plays, where on the steps of churches or cathedrals, people acted out the scriptures and took and, and showed the, the, the human expression in the scriptures. Took, took them off the stained glass windows and brought them down into life where I could reach out and, and touch. And, and all of this led to the development of something that, whether we participated in it or not, we have these last days before Easter that we know as quote-unquote Holy Week. Holy Week is... Uh, an enormous grace-filled morality pageant. Um, the problem with Holy Week, we now know today, is it's not found anywhere in the Gospels. That doesn't mean it's not valid, but as we come home to the beauty of each of the four Gospel texts and understand how each text has an integrity and it has its own prayer, Holy Week doesn't fit there because it came from a time when we didn't understand the integrity of each gospel, and we felt quite free to take a detail out of one gospel and put it with a detail in another gospel. In a session, essentially, Holy Week creates a fifth gospel that's not validated by any of the four. It matters which one we go down With the strength in our bones We win our battles and then we lose some Love is so consistent
I, I have a question for you too. And, and this just, I, I may have connected a dot. I'm not sure. We'll see. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so to kind of go back to what you had mentioned earlier about the fact that the, the way that, that the early Christians, uh, the, the Jewish people viewed resurrection, um, I, I, I couldn't help but think back to the earliest copies of the gospel of Mark that we have, you know, which is, uh, most scholars at this point agree that that was the oldest gospel written, the earliest gospel written. Um, the original version actually ends just after the women go to the tomb. So they go to the tomb and, and there's this young man standing there who says, don't be afraid. Um, you're looking for the Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He's been raised. He's not here. And then they flee. And the original version, it just ends right there. Well, as if Mark it goes, doesn't it goes one line further, which is even more disturbing. Yeah. It ends yeah. with, and the women said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Yes. Can you just talk about that for a <laughs> second? Yeah. And then people later went in and decided to add a longer ending because they're like, oh, clearly Mark just, you know, lost his marbles and meant to finish this and didn't, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Disney lived in the second century. We, had, we <laughs> and, and I don't mean that the endings that are there in Mark are not true, but someone didn't understand the power of what Mark was doing and felt that they needed to complete his unfinished gospel, when Mark's gospel is very powerfully true exactly where it ends. Um, do you want me to say more? Yes, please. If you can, that would be fantastic. <laughs> right, I'm also going to give you a teaser right now to all of our to all of our listeners. For the early Christians of the first five six hundred years, there was only one gospel that was used for quote unquote Easter. Even though many gospels have stories of the resurrection in them, they were not stories that went to the to the intent of Easter in the early centuries. And the only gospel that goes to the intent of that Easter is the gospel of John. And we'll, we'll come back and talk about why John is the, quote-unquote, the Easter gospel, as opposed to, well, any resurrection story is Easter. No, not for the early Christians. There's only one resurrection story, which is the Easter that they were praying, and that's John. So back to Mark. And this goes back to my work on the four Gospels, and that for those who are not familiar with my work, I'm trying to explain how each Gospel is responding to a human question, and that the four Gospels placed in the sequence that they were intended to be read tell the spiritual journey that each one of us makes with Jesus the Christ in spirit throughout our lives. So in this way of understanding, Mark's gospel is written to the question, how do we face change? And Matthew's gospel is written to the question, how do we face change? Mark is written to the question of how we move through suffering. John is written to the question of joy and relationship. And Luke is written to the question of service. So now, when we look at Mark we can understand that Mark was writing his text to the early Christians in Rome in the midst of genocide. Yeah. And 
all the original hearers of this gospel, almost all the original hearers of this gospel are going to be martyred, killed on the floor of the Circus Maximus. John's, te- I mean, excuse me, I keep, Mark's text is to become the prayer of those in a suffering unto death. Mm. And the text is not meant to prove resurrection. The text is the prayer for those already baptized who know resurrection. Man. From the, ah. from the very first line of Mark, it is presumed that if you pray this text, you already know the resurrection of Jesus the Christ as an internal experience in your heart. And I think it's quite compelling that this gospel, Mark, is clearly the gospel that has many of Peter's stories in it. Yeah, absolutely. But Peter and this gospel do not give a story of the resurrection because don't go die on the floor of the Circus Maximus because somebody else told you a story about resurrection. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. Face this suffering through the resurrection that you know in your heart. That's the grace that will get you through this, not hoping and believing someone else's story, but the story that's already living within you. So That is so good. The way this text ends is an examination of conscience. If you know... If you've had an internal experience of death and resurrection and you know it's true, then you know what you're going to do as you walk out from the tomb. And if you don't know, you perhaps will do what those first women did, which is to go forth and say nothing to anyone. Because it was not yet a truth inside of them. You need to write some some seriously dense Easter reflections. <laughs> yes. So we can all wake up in the morning and get our minds blown before we start our day. My my curiosity cuz I know you hinted you you kind of touched on uh on how to relate this to the Gospel of Matthew specifically. So I'm definitely interested to to hear what you have to say about that and then ultimately I know I know that there's a way that you've probably connected this to uh the four paths. And I, I'm really interested to hear how this comes full circle. Well, let, let me sort of start at that point and hold on to those questions. Okay. Um, in the late 70s, uh, you remember I grew up Catholic. And so I'm, I'm quite comfortable with the beautiful rituals of Catholicism and the Episcopal England and, and Lutheran tradition. And these gorgeous, to me, gorgeous evening, washing feet, the passion, um, etc. And I became quite curious, uh, realizing that the early Christians only used John. Why do they only use John? What, what was... What was it in the text of John 
that they were responding to, that this became, for them, the only story that was worthy of the Easter that they were praying. And I'm quite familiar uh, with, there are, there are some people today who are actually believing that perhaps John should be removed from the canon because it's the quote-unquote least historical of all the texts. Right. Yeah, yeah I've heard that. And my discussion is going to be 180 degrees from that. Uh, John, to me, is, is the antidote that we need today to get us out of this history box. Um, John, John's text says the truth of Jesus the Christ's life and death and resurrection is so powerful Here's my understanding of John speaking to us across the eons. John is begging us not to do a Holy Week. John is begging us, don't turn this into a last day of walking with Jesus through the dusty streets of Jerusalem. That's history. What does history have to do with what you need to do right now? And so John, just 70 years after those days in Jerusalem, takes the living experience of the passion and changes all the historical markers because the truth of the passion is not in the historical marker. The truth of the, the, truth of the passion is in your lived experience of death and resurrection with Jesus the Christ, which you are responsible to translate into your life wherever it is. Oh, gosh. That's so good. <laughs> oh. Well, it is. So, so yeah, what does John do? Um, first of all, do we realize that in John's passion, Jesus does not die during Passover? That the, yeah. that the last meal with the disciples is not a Passover meal. John is already breaking forth for us at the end of the first century Easter is not Passover. Um, excuse me. We have moved in a different direction from our ancestors. Easter is not Christian Passover. It's something of a, of a wholly different quality and character. So therefore, do not take Easter forward by looking back at history. Wow. Oh my gosh. So this is not a contradiction between John and the rest of the synoptic gospels. This was intentional. That's what I believe. Would, oh wow. Would you say that my little abstract brain is doing things and I have to I have to I have to see what if there's anything here. Would 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 you say that in a way um the meal of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, you know, the death and resurrection, the Easter is a way of closing the Passover and starting a new thing? Well, certainly. Like completing it? Yeah, I mean, certainly we, it's like I'm not arguing the holiness of Passover. I'm just saying that John rightly understands, in in my view, that we've got to translate Passover into a Christian experience, and that translation changes the quality of the feast so much so that we leave behind the Passover metaphor. 
And here's why. And, and, and here's the difficulty that we have because we've become so locked into the Holy Week morality play. And please, every time I say that, I loved Holy Week. I prayed Holy Week. I know it's grace. It fed me for a, a good two-thirds of my life. I'm just saying that I think it's time for us to move down a different pathway. The early Christians took the Gospel of John and crafted the prayer of Easter to be a prayer where we understood resurrection right now. So the first prayer of Easter, not on the way to Easter, the first prayer of Easter is the washing of feet. Mm. We're no longer doing history. We're no longer doing the sequence of what Jesus did as he went to the cross. We are bringing the celebration of Easter out of the text of John, and we are praying it because we know that it is only by the grace of the resurrection that we allow ourselves to be washed and therefore feel compelled to wash the feet of all others. This is The washing of the feet is not a Lenten prayer. It's an Easter prayer. Lent's over. Even for the high ritual churches, they will tell you that. Lent has ended at sundown on Thursday. When you go into church that night to do the the washing of the feet, you're no longer in Lent. You're in Easter. This is an Easter prayer. Wow. Because it's the mandatum of Easter, which we all need to, to really reflect on today. The mandatum, the command, the mandate of Easter is Christians shall go forth and wash everyone's feet. This this is so, um, I think this is so appropriate, such an appropriate message for um, the people of this current period of time, you know, Um, because I'm assuming you you don't mean just the feet of other like-minded Christians. No! (laughs) I mean, let's start with, Let's wash the feet of, of the diversity within Christianity, and then let's move beyond it to everyone. Yes. Man. So, like, so all right, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, perhaps even Judas, because I'm, I'm pretty sure he was there. Well, yeah, only in John's text. Do you realize this? It's only in John's text where Judas is present for the foot washing. In the other three texts, Judas leaves at the beginning of the evening. Not in John's text. Jesus washes Judas's feet. Chew on that, people. This is a free podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and also, um, John builds on the Gospel of John, builds on the teaching of Paul. And I actually, I'm going to, you know, this is, this is Alexander speaking here. It's my prayer and it's my research and it's my heart. But I think that John is Paul's Gospel. Because well, may, John, yeah. John is coming out of the community that Paul or Paul's disciple founded in Ephesus. And everything in this gospel of John is about Jesus the Christ of all time, from before the beginning of time. It's, it's the cosmic eternal Christ. And 
Paul has already been urging the Christians of Ephesus and, as we know, Corinth, in, in that famous passage in 11 Corinthians. And he's talking about when you come to the table. And Paul says, when you come to the table, you wait upon one another and you wait for one another unless you eat the Lord's Supper for your condemnation. Man. Now, that's warm and fuzzy Paul. (laughs) But what Paul is so disturbed about is that already, here in the first century, we've got people coming to the table from magical thinking. Rather than coming to the table understanding that the attitude of service is what institutes Eucharist and communion. The, you know, none of us is ever going to have a perfect attitude of service. But Paul is quite clear. It's the attitude of service that institutes communion as the foundation before anyone reminds us that Jesus took bread and took cup. So like, and that's why, and that's why it's so powerful in the high ritual churches that the first prayer of Easter is the foot washing. Because unless you take the attitude of foot washing to every prayer service of the church, You've moved towards magical thinking and away from the incarnate body of your brother and sister that you're called to serve. So when you say magical thinking, um, I think it's kind of how I use the word religious thinking. Like you, you're coming and you're saying, what, what power does this have for me? Um, how, how, you know, what efficacy does this thing have to do something for me? You know, I need this thing to do something for me, but you know, the way you're, explaining it in my mind, you're coming to the table saying, you know, how, how can I embody this? Right. And as Paul would say, it's the truth of the body of Christ around the table that makes the body of Christ on the table more real, more effective, more filled with grace. It's, it's interesting too, because what you're asking of people is to take on this meaning that's that's difficult. That's that's the harder path. That's the harder version of Easter, you know? Uh, way harder. You actually have to do something for someone else and maybe someone you don't necessarily particularly want to do something for, you know? Right. Or the examination of conscience that he was even talking about like the yeah. Mar- like Mark invites us to. Yeah, the inner reflection, the 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 the, the hard work. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I I don't know. I mean, this, this is, I like, you know, I'm a, I, I, I make big statements cause I'm a seven on the Enneagram, <laughs> but, um, I, I don't know that I would have gone through the kind of deconstruction that I'm going through and have gone through. If this is the kind of thing that I would have been invited into early in my spiritual development. Right. Man. So good. Please, please continue. Well, <laughs> let's, And I also want to say, 
um, it would be so easy for listeners to say, oh, that's just those folks in a building that they call a church and what they do. And I, I want to suggest that bring this idea of foot washing home. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a, a description written about how to do it, but what would it be like? with your spouse, what would it be like for a family uh, to sit and to remember the resurrected life of Jesus with us that calls us to be present with each other's hands and feet and head? Um, we're, we're in a moment where I want to invite people to to take these ideas and bring them around the, their table, bring them into their marriages and their friendships. And let's see where this leads us. Mm, man, it, not only is this a more hands-on, for lack of a better description, a hands-on version of Easter, but this is a more intimate version of Easter, I think, um, than we're used to. Incarnation? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, what, one of the things that we miss in that beautiful text of the foot washing, and I don't want to scandalize anybody, but I, I want to bring the point home. When Jesus in the foot washing stands before the disciples and whoever is in that room that night and takes off his outer robe, yeah, what's he got on when he takes off his outer robe? He appears in that moment in the way that a husband, a Jewish husband, appears before his wife. The only thing he's wearing is his BVDs, his underwear. Man. <laughs> and this is scandalous. No Jewish man disrobes before anyone except his spouse. I mean, just thinking what the disciples must have thought at that moment, like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah, and the ultimate humiliation, yeah. Right, and then in that state, he washes their feet. Man. So you want to talk about intimacy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Mm. All right, let's let's move to uh the second prayer of Easter. And this is such a stretch because we just don't we don't have hymns, we don't have poetry, we don't have prayers that are written for John's passion. Everything we've got out there, and boy, if, if there are composers listening to me right now, if there are poets listening to me right now, contact me. Um, we've got a revolution ahead of us when you hear John's passion. And we need the sensual, sensuous texts and visual imagery of John's passion which is so far away from anything else that we're doing today. So in this passion, Jesus doesn't suffer, not for a moment. Um, there is no agony in the garden. And I, you know, anyone who wants to doubt this, and I, I welcome that doubt, but go open up the scriptures and read John's passion for what it is, which, which is stop reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And just read what is in John's passion. It's not Passover. There is no Garden of Gethsemane. 
There is no prayer that the cup be passed. In fact, in John's Passion, Jesus says on a number of occasions, I have come for this moment. Give me the cup. Give it to me. Mm. Jesus is fully in control, totally at peace with what's happening because Jesus the Christ in John's Passion knows it's happening because he has said yes for it to happen. This, this is the Jesus the Christ of all time who holds everything in his hands and in his heart. And nothing in the way Jesus is going to die in John's Passion is because of anything that anyone else does. He has made the decision to selflessly give of his life. And he has chosen this moment to give it. So this is the Easter passion. Oh, my goodness. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are Lenten passions. But we don't read John's passion in the high ritual churches. We don't read John's passion on a Good Friday, which is in Lent. In, in the restorations, Good Friday is now Easter. Not Lent. Wow. This is not a sorrowing day. It's a solemn day, but it's not a sorrowing day. And all the bloody Jesus imagery, which is so appropriate for earlier in the Lenten season, is not appropriate on the Good Friday of Easter. Man. Because it's not in the text. Jesus fully in in the measure of himself, giving himself selflessly. He does not bleed. He does not sweat. He stands before the high priest, and he stands before Pilate, and he questions them more than they question him. He reduces them to three-year-olds having a tantrum that need time out. Wow. (laughs) Gosh. And then furthermore, this text says Jesus carries the cross himself, to Golgotha. Nobody carries the cross for him. There's no stumbling. There's no Veronica getting the sweat off his brow. This is the royal, composed, beautiful human divinity of Jesus the Christ, who knows what this moment is about and is giving his total self to it. I can I can always count on on, on Alexander Shia to come on our show. And completely flip something that I've read a million times on its head and give me new eyes to, to see it with. <laughs> I, I, I love that how so many people that probably see the name of our podcast and have listened to a few episodes probably think that there's something about us or this project that is trying to, to tear something down. And if, if listening to this episode doesn't make you realize that what we're trying to do is, is get back to the roots and actually find something true and beautiful. Oh, what you're doing right now, Alexander. Oh, I love it. We've got one stunning moment ahead of us. Oh, bring it on. It just changes everything. And that is as we move through John's passion. Okay. Jesus is carrying the cross to Golgotha. I think if you read the text, you will see that Jesus places himself on the cross. And then, of course, there is the conversation from the cross where he gives his mother and the beloved disciple to each other. And this is the truth. When when we can touch this type of passion in our life, 
And there are four types of passion, and each one has its own truth. But for the early Christians, this was the only passion of Easter. When we can touch this, we create community where it was not before. Mm. That's the whole emphasis of resurrection for the early church, for the early Christians. We are creating ever wider communion and community. And we have two things now. When Jesus is pierced, what's going to flow out of Jesus? Uh, only in John, but what's going to flow out? Water. I mean, you're, water. yeah, you've got me questioning everything right now, so <laughs> I, I don't know what to answer. And I was like, I thought I knew the answer, but I'm not sure anymore. Water and blood. Water and blood. I was actually going to say that. <laughs> Incarnation. I mean, I, I understand that right now we've got three guys talking to each other. Incarnation. Where in our, in our human form does water and blood usher forth? No woman would take this long to answer. <laughs> I, I, I mouthed it to Adam, but again, I wasn't sure. I was like, say it, say it. Uh, women, the, 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 uh, the cycle of birth? Yes. Is that? Yes. Yay! <laughs> Jesus the Christ in the passion of John is giving birth to the human family, is giving birth to those who have felt separate from each other coming back and understanding that we are all one. Oh, come on! <laughs> oh, but here's, man! But here's the point that is just even beyond that to me stunning. And scripture scholars have argued about what the text should say at the moment of Jesus' birth, I mean, the moment of Jesus' death on the cross. And the other three texts have recounted to us that Jesus bows his head and delivers over his spirit. But the Catholic Church and the Catholic scholars have gone for a different interpretation of this line in John. And what they say is, the text reads, Jesus bows his head and delivers over the Spirit. Oh, man. In John, this moment is birth, death, and Pentecost. Because when, when we participate with a like passion in our life, when we take the world's trials and burdens and difficulties and poisons and we drink of it, through Jesus the Christ, we transmit poison into grace. And we deliver the Spirit to our world. So, I mean, the, the other detail here that I haven't focused on is, is that in the other three passions, when the sour wine is put to the lips of Jesus, he doesn't drink. In John, he does. Everything about this text is that we, through Jesus the Christ, we drink of the world's sourness and bitterness. And by that power, we transmute it. Happy Easter, everybody. Yeah. 
goodness sakes. So, the, so when in, in the Easter uh, prayer that I lead, at this moment when Jesus drinks the cup, bows his head, and delivers over the Spirit, we stand and sing a most glorious Gloria. This, this is not a moment of sorrow, and this is not a moment of beating your chest. This is a, you know, there, there are those who are suggesting that actually at this moment we should bring back the Alleluia that perhaps we haven't sung for a few weeks. This is Easter. This is when, when we make what Jesus the Christ has done part of our daily life, and we, too, by that power, can transmit sufferings and trial into resurrection. Let, just let it sing. Let it shout. Man. Go tell it on a mountain. Well, wow. <laughs> no, it's, it's, we have so missed this moment, so totally missed it, because we've got the tape of the other three Gospels running in our head. Yeah, I could not agree more. We've got our churches draped in black, and we're singing sorrowful psalms and all of this stuff. And I'm like, have you looked at this text? <laughs> Seriously. Like, yeah, most, of our, most of our tradition is teaching us to be schizophrenic. The text, Man. The text is moving us with this beautiful, uplifting grace, and, and most of our tradition has us on our knees beating our breasts. Oh, it's always felt disingenuine to me. I, I've I've done Easter or Good Friday services at our church, and I've just always been like, "Let's we we know how this goes. Like, stop acting like you're sad." Well, and and I, you know, I mean, in some churches, five days prior, we're going to read either Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and we need those. Those are equally true in their own way. All I'm suggesting is is that I think. Our early ancestors got it right, and they understood that John is an Easter passion, not a Lenten passion. Is there uh, any chance that you're going to be maybe putting together some some thoughts or reflections or meditations on John that uh, could could find uh, could find its way into the hands of some some very interesting interested parties around here? There. There already is on the Quadratus website, on, on, in the store on the Quadratus website, the text of something that I call Gateway to Oneness uh, as part of the Praying Anew series. And, uh, Wonderful. And that's the, that's the prayer, that's the full text of the prayer of Easter from foot washing to passion, et cetera, et cetera, and you can purchase it for personal study, or you can purchase an annual use permit if you wanted to use it in public worship. Um, I am still waiting uh, for some incredible film person because what what we really need, I think, is is to show the beauty and the sensuousness of this Easter prayer in some short film. So that so that people can can touch. I, I don't want to tell people how to do it, but I want to inspire people to a new vision and a new experience of what Easter can be. 
Man, if anybody out there is listening and you happen to be a talented filmmaker, please make this happen. <laughs> Equals I, uh, yeah. any composers that are out there. We need we need songs in hymnody for this. We don't have that yet. I had no idea the Easter Easter basket that we were just going to give everybody on this episode. I I am so we are so blessed to have you on, Alexander. We just don't know of a better way to to wrap this up. I just want to. I just kind of, unless you had any final thoughts, I don't want to cut you off. I mean, well, if there's any, and I, and I realize that we may be at a time limit, but I, I do want to say that the 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 great and final Easter prayer is the story of Jesus the Christ and Mary Magdalene in the garden. Mm, when she thinks he's the gardener. Yes, and again, here we are. This. To, to live into this present moment resurrection, no matter what reality you're living in, no matter what political moment you're in, no matter where you are on the planet, no matter the, the incredible crises that all are around us, to live into this moment is to understand the source of how we can move out into the world in action. And, and just in all of our small ways, transmit today's poison into tomorrow's grace. Mm. And this is what, you know, what I so love about Mary Magdalene seeing Jesus the Christ and not recognizing him is, well, he must have really looked like a gardener, hmm. like sweaty armpits and, <laughs> and, and dirt underneath the fingernails. Because, because resurrection in John is sensuous incarnation. It's not some pie-in-the-sky glory. It's like right here, right in front of you, if you can but access the inner eyes to see it. It is dirt under your fingernails. It's dirt under your fingernails. And it's relationship. In this new garden, we have Jesus the Christ the full divinity of our ancestor Adam, and we have Mary Magdalene, the fullness and, and the restoration of Eve, now in beautiful relationship, calling all of us to go forth beyond the concrete to understand how this reality is playing in our lives right now. And I just want to come back to why John was so insistent that we do not do the passion that was so obvious for Jesus back in Jerusalem, because we're not going to do a concrete morality play about those days. We're going to look for the death and the resurrection that's in our lives right here, right now. Man, Alexander, thank you so much. What a what a wonderful Easter reflection. I mean, I can't, I can't wait to make this part of my tradition to just dig in on this every every single year and bring myself back down. Well, I I know right now there's a lot of disturbance around all of us, and I just hope that there is something in this hour, in this time, in these words that might truly hold the grace of resurrection now. I know it did for me, my friend. Yeah. 
And uh, tell you what, if, if you want to come back and talk about Christmas, we would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. <laughs> totally, totally. Yes, well, perfect. We'll wait a few months for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might have to just start a church calendar podcast with Alexander yeah. freaking Shia. <laughs> Thank you. This, uh, if I live long enough and by grace, all of this will eventually find its way into some lovely book. <clears throat> or what uh, I hope will be a lovely book. But, but yeah. yes, all of our, it's like to, to transform how we look at the Gospels inherently means we must take the next step, which is to transfer, transform everything we understand about our feasts. All of our feasts are not about history. The glory of them is that they happened in history, but that's not our proclamation. Our proclamation is they happen in every moment. They're happening right now. Resurrection is. Resurrection is. I think we're just going to call the podcast episode Resurrection is. Good grief. Wow. So if, if I just, you know, I want to invite people to, to go to my website, quadratus, Q-U-A-D-R-A-T-O-S.com. And uh, there's a store there. There's a media page with all of these incredible podcasts, including the two previous ones I've done with you on and and coming very soon, uh, we're going to be offering the beautiful Quadratus logo on a few items. And I would be so honored if people would uh, support this work by perhaps uh, buying and offering some of these items to friends and family and themselves. It's going to be things like tote bags and coffee mugs. and um, But my, my hope really is, is that this beautiful logo of Quadratus will be a way that people could touch the inspiration and, and the livingness of Jesus the Christ now. Mm. Well, you got a couple guys right here that are definitely ready to sign up as soon as that stuff's available. Absol- so. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, man. Without a doubt. And, and then I, I did just want to mention that, uh, you know, my dad did just recently, he's a big fan and my dad did just recently find that to, uh, Heart and Mind is available on Kindle for like nine bucks. And so he bought it. And I just wanted you to know that. And I wanted everybody else to know that. Yeah, it's on Kindle Worldwide English. And we are working very steadily and have a real hope that we can have a print edition of Heart and Mind, a paperback print edition for North America by early fall, late summer, early fall. Fantastic. That'd be amazing. Right. Resurrection is, guys. Uh, Resurrection, Resurrection is. is to everyone. Resurrection w- is. With Alexander Shia. Man, it's always great to talk to you. <laughs> Likewise. Uh, well, thank you so much. We, we cannot thank you enough. We always look forward to these. And uh, you are the reigning champion. You've been on more times than anyone else that we've had, and, and uh, for good reason. So uh, we know people are going to enjoy this thoroughly. I'm, mm. I'm honored. Mm. Uh, uh, we love you, Alexander. Likewise, likewise, guys, and and all, and to your spouses and your family. Oh, thank you, absolutely, and uh, happy Easter. Same. All right, my friend. Till next time. Take care.
right. Um, my brain is melted. Mm. <laughs> I was, uh, and I'm not just saying this. Obviously, I'm an excitable extrovert, yeah. but like I was, I had an accelerated heart rate during that interview. Yeah, like I was viscerally excited. I, um, I, I was a hundred percent serious at the end of that episode where I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to go back through that that episode like twelve times and listen to it, and then like have some sort of like voting process or something." to like scale down all of the amazing quotes to, to the point where I can get one. Maybe I'll like write up a bracket, like a March madness bracket or something. And mm-hmm. I don't, <laughs> I mean, there was so, there were so many moments in that episode in that interview where I just, I remember looking at you with like my jaw on the desk. I was like so many times, so many times. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Really, really, truly unbelievable. Like, how this guy isn't doing like uh you know these giant arena tours at this point is beyond me, you know. You know, you know what it is, man, and you know, I know we talked about this with him sort of before we hit record, but like um I I had a thought that his work is not just it it's not deep as far as like just simply academically deep. He's obviously well read and brilliant. But I think one of the main reasons that his work does not explode in popularity is because everything he teaches asks something of the listener to, to transform, to change, to look at the world with greater compassion, to look at the world not with resurrection as some you know, ethereal idea, but look at the world with resurrection as a mode of being that you can't just pass off as something you check on your Christian belief list. And that kind of expectation doesn't really like gain popularity extremely fast because it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. It's, it, it kind of, it goes against the grain of this Christian culture of almost like Christian self-help books that seem to be popular, you know, where it's like, well, yeah, absolutely. I, I read this book and I feel better about myself and I donate to an orphanage and I'm good, you know? And it's like, yep. What he's saying, I think, is is so much more in tune with the Jesus message, and that is, like, I'm ask, I'm I'm going to intentionally put you in a place where you're extremely uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. and that's what I want you to do. Like, I didn't come here to make you comfortable and to uh, allow you to continue to live in your in your bubble existence. I I want to shatter no. that bubble and make you get out in the street and actually do work. And right. It's beautiful, man. That's it. I love it. It is beautiful, but it's, you know, it's not easy. And you gotta, you gotta get comfortable with being continually pushed out of your comfort zone. Like, Oh, here we go again. Okay. This is going to hurt. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, that's, that's what I love about him. And, and I, I hope that more and more people do the hard work of, of engaging with the difficult but beautiful and transforming ideas that he is bringing us back to. Yes. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, we were just talking off off uh, off mic, if you will, um, just about like going back and and re-listening to some of our earlier interviews. And um, I went, you know, one of the earlier interviews I went back to listen to is our our interview with Rob Bell. And uh, there's this part where he talks about what it means to be radical and 
how it's not somebody who goes off in the deep weeds. And I think I talked about this during our, our teaser episode even, but it's somebody who goes back to the root. And some of my favorite uh, people right now, including Dr. Dr. Shia, um, are people who are, are doing things that are revolutionary and are kind of new, but if you really look at it, at the root of what they're doing, they're going back to the beginning. They're going back to the early church fathers. They're, they're trying to examine the way that the early Christians, these people who were part of this Jewish community, would have perceived and would have uh, understood uh, these teachings. And I think that's mm-hmm. true for Shai. It's true for uh, Richard Rohr. You know, it's true for, for a lot of these people. And, and, and see, right. Yes. You know, and I, I think they all have that common bond, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's really easy to write best-selling books and I'm not hating on anybody right now, but this is just the way I see it. Just my opinion. When you take a spirituality and co-opt it to the dominant culture, which is American, you know, sort of capitalistic nationalism. Sure. And you, and you just take those ideas and repackage them in like a nationalistic American capitalistic kind of, kind of mode. And then you're basically saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this spirituality can help give you the dream that marketing is telling you you need on a regular basis. Right. Right. I mean, of course you're going to sell out stadiums and best-selling books, but like, I don't know, man. I just kind of hate all that crap to be honest. Yeah, it seems it seems like to, to to gain almost instant success these days, you either have to promise people like that they can have it all, or you have to kind of deviate from good good scholarship and make wild wild claims, you know, that aren't really founded in any kind of good research. And I'm not really interested in in going down either path, to be honest. I think that we should come out with a satirical t-shirt that says deconstructing will help you achieve the American dream. <laughs> I like it. You remember, <laughs> you, you remember last time we made a joke about a t-shirt, it showed up in our inbox like two days later. So um, yeah, with a killer design too. Yeah. Which you can purchase for a small donation on our website. It's <laughs> awesome. That's the closest Happy to Easter. <laughs> yeah. Happy that that'd be a good Easter gift to anybody, you know? A little t-shirt, a little t-shirt for the Easter basket. There you go. Maybe we'll maybe we'll run a little little Easter deal. Yes. Yes. Let's do that. Let's do that. And uh we're working on buttons right now that uh Adam and I've been wearing around and I've just been too lazy to actually get a full order in, so <laughs> maybe I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll do that too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh happy Easter everybody and remember that resurrection is that's it, baby. Just is. That's it. <laughs> Man. So much there in those two words. Resurrection is. Yep. Uh, mm. Chew on that for a while. I'm gonna listen to I'm gonna listen to that again. Yep. You're welcome, you beautiful people. You you are welcome. I hope this uh takes Easter to a whole nother place and a whole nother level for all of you. And thank you again for joining us. John, who who do we have here? Oh, music. That's tickling our tick, tickling our ears. Um, this one's kind of cool, actually. Um, it's sort of a, uh, a repeat, uh, in a way. Um, our, our good friend Clay, uh, who provided music for us for the, um, was it Catherine Keller? 
or no, it was uh, Deb Harsma. Deb Harsma, that's right, that's right. Um, he provided music for us uh, on that episode as solo stuff. Um, this is a band that he was in um, a while back, and they had some songs that they never quite finished recording, and so they they just put out an EP of of this music, um, and uh, they're called the Undeserving. So some of you guys may mm. may remember them. They've had songs on um, you know some TV shows, I think on MTV and. I want to say like Grey's Anatomy or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they were on Grey's Anatomy. So yeah, so this might sound familiar, but um, if you enjoy their music, I know that EP is is up for sale, and they would uh, greatly appreciate, you know, if anybody uh, wants to check it out. And uh, of course, tell Clay we said hi. <laughs> yeah, and I think they're going to be doing some live shows around too. So you know, if you're uh, yeah. If you're into it, check check their website. And if they're around, uh, you want to go meet these guys. You'll you'll probably become instant best friends if if you listen to this podcast and you go meet those dudes. Yeah, man, Clay's 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 voice is just ridiculously pretty. So <laughs> he's he, he, angelic. It is. It is. And uh, I know, man. I know. I agree. It's crazy. And he's such a such a nice dude. But uh, um, and if and again, if you guys like the music. Uh, follow us on Spotify. We have a Spotify playlist. If you go to um, social media, we've got the link up there, and I update it every week with a song by whatever artist that uh, we're featuring on the podcast that, that week. So you can go back to all the artists that we featured in 2016, as well as the ones that we featured so far this year. So. It needs to be repeated and said over and over again that that John really does. 90% of the work on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's so good at all this extra stuff that makes us uh, a lot more fun uh, of a thing to follow. So give John a pat on the back or shoot him a thank you note in the mail. Oh man. I almost forgot that speaking of fun, little extra things, um, library thing. So this is a thing we just started. Um, this, this has been around as a website for a really long time. They have an app now that you can download your phone but it's called library thing and um if you go there uh, i believe we are set up as just deconstructionists or the deconstructionists one of those two um i'll have it up on uh in the show notes and stuff but you can actually go on there and uh see our catalog of books that we have read or are reading um and uh so you can check out uh for those of you that have been looking for like a book list or whatever um you can actually check out what we're up to and Maybe even get a tiny clue at what we might be uh, getting into in the future. Maybe if you can try to figure that out. Maybe we'll uh, tweet that out and maybe even share it on Instagram a little bit more to get you guys kind of over there because it's a pretty sweet little thing that John discovered, and uh, I think you guys, you know, all you fellow nerds out there would get a lot of use out of it. Yeah, for sure. So check that out. Awesome. Good deal, man. Well, happy Easter, John. You too, buddy. And happy Easter, listeners. Indeed. Uh, good luck finding all the, the chocolate eggs and trying to connect that somehow to, <laughs> to Jesus. <laughs> uh, I, hope, uh, I hope this is a good time of year for you all. I know for some of you that are, are going through a weird deconstruction, um, this is probably a really weird time for you. And um, just hope you have some community. Hope you have some grace and peace in human form around you. And uh, if you don't, um, praying that comes your way sooner than later, but, um, thanks for hanging out with us and thanks for pursuing authenticity in your, in your spiritual journeys. And, um, we love doing this with you guys. So happy Easter. Yeah. Happy Easter and, um, happy rebirth and renewal 
And uh, hopefully the spring weather is soon to follow. We love you guys. Yeah, grace and peace, everyone.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.